0: Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, Sean Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with the Professor. Uh, got a Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer joining us here to talk about all the things going on on offensive lines in the National Football League because it's a fascinating year both in free agency as far as adjustments of contracts, uh, the draft coming up. And so Joe Thomas, NFL analyst, Uh, on the nfl network and you can follow joe at joe thomas 73 and so joe before we get started here I, i wanted to kind of start off we'll look at the draft in a little bit as far as this year's draft but i still go back to the 2007 draft that you were the third pick in the draft and of course you know right now players are making a decision whether they're going to go to Cleveland to uh, be there for the draft uh, or they're going to do it virtually or what they're going to do. But you probably had one of the most unique ways of not going to the draft. To Tell everybody what you did.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I felt that uh, my time was a little bit more well spent rather than sitting there in a suit and shaking hands and hugging people that I've never met before. Uh, I would go and spend the day fishing with my dad and I'm sure somebody would call me and let me know where I got drafted so that's what I decided to do and it's kind of funny looking back on that in that decision it was kind of unheard of at the moment but now you see a lot of guys actually are deciding to spend that time with their family rather than going to Cleveland or going to New York and um, so I guess maybe I'll take a little bit of credit for starting something.
0: Yeah, but that was so—it was so unique because I still remember because uh, you were able to get pictures out of you and your father on the boat uh, out there. Was that was that near Madison or where was that? Yeah, it was actually
1: near where I grew up in uh, Brookfield, Wisconsin. So okay. I, I grew up outside of Milwaukee, right on Lake Michigan. So we were—that's where we were. Fascinating. Well,
0: i tell you what, it's, it was a great way to do it. And uh, you know, the only difference was that they didn't have Zoom back then, so they could've, you could have done all your interviews from the boat, and yeah, had the commissioner <laughs> was on the boat. No Zoom back then.
1: Yeah, no Zoom.
0: <clears throat> okay, so this has been, uh, you know, we all know the CAP, which is 182.5 has affected a lot of players, particularly guys making 10 million dollars or more. It really hit the wide receivers hard because only one was able to get. That's Kenny Gall- Galladay was only to get uh, a little to get the 18 million. Everybody else was hit bad. But I mean, the offensive linemen, it was brutal. Would you believe because of you know, guys like Kevin Zeitler, uh, he was 10 plus million. He had to take a pay cut, go to uh, Baltimore for seven and a half million dollars. I know that Gabe Jackson, who just got traded to Seattle, I mean, he had an 11 million dollar contract. Now he's at 7.5. And so what you're looking at is that the, they're taking a big pay to a point right now. How about this, Joe? There's only 11 guards, left guards or right guards, that have 10 plus million dollar contracts. Hmm.
1: That's interesting, but I think what it reflects is, you know, when, when you have to make difficult decisions, like you mentioned with the salary cap, typically those difficult decisions are made on the interior because a lot of teams kind of see that as a luxury. You know, they, they kind of see the guys in the edges and tackles, the guys like Trent Williams, who just resigned this offseason as critical pieces, kind of like a quarterback or a pass rusher. And then if you have extra money and you've got an opportunity to sign uh, a, a marquee inside player, then you do it, but that's obviously going to be the first place you're going to look to maybe cut some of the salary cap when you do get into a tight situation like we are right now with the salary cap.
0: Yeah, I mean, back Colton Miller of the Raiders, he ended up uh, you know getting an 18 million dollar contract, and you're right about the fact that you know they they are taking care of the the left tackles, 16 left tackles right now. Are making ten plus million dollars, and that includes Trent Williams making over twenty. But right tackle, there's only six that are um, making money. So they're taking care of the left side, a little bit of the right side, but you're right about the middle. They're the ones that have to pay the price.
1: Yeah, like I mentioned, you know,
0: the, I, I like to pretend that the left
1: tackle the right tackle were the critical piece of the puzzle, but um, a lot of teams see it that way because of the marquee pass rushers that you're going to have to face from week to week.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. I know that uh, when you when you talk to uh, people, uh, general managers and even agents. I mean, the five main positions that get paid are the left tackle, who has to block the pass rushing defensive end or pass uh, edge rusher. Then you got the cornerbacks. Then you got the wide receivers, and obviously the top's going to be the quarterback.
1: Yeah, exactly right. I think it's obviously quarterback number one, and then. The conversation happens Then, do you want to protect the passer with a left tackle? Do you want to have that guy that can get after the passer? Or maybe, depending on what type of defense you run, you put more of a premium on uh, pass coverage, and then you will get a rush to coverage where you know that, hey, as long as we cover these guys for three and a half, four seconds, doesn't really matter who we have up front. We'll be able to scheme them up. We'll be able to find a free rusher or find a matchup. Maybe we can get a linebacker on a running back and we'll be able to get home that way, but we want to focus on coverage first. So it kind of depends on what the scheme is that you run. If you're going to value pass rusher, pass protector, or maybe somebody in the secondary like a cornerback as that kind of second Best, most important player on your roster. Yeah,
0: no question. But it gets at least the at least half the league right now, as far as left tackles are getting paid and being paid well, and so uh, all the other ones have to struggle. The weird, another weird part of free agency yeah. this year is that I mean, here's Joe Thune, who was a franchise guard in New England, getting 14.3 million uh, last year. It looks like you know he goes now to Kansas City. He gets 16 million five years and, uh, you know, 80 million bucks. But uh, then the weird part about the whole thing is that, uh, you know, the next highest paid free agent guard was, uh, you know, Matt Feeler from the Pittsburgh Steelers going to the Chargers and he got seven and a half million. What a gap. Yeah, that was interesting. and, And a
1: little bit of a head scratcher to me, not that Joe Tooney is not a great player, but the fact that like you mentioned, the salary cap went down, salaries especially on the interior offensive line went down Um, but Kansas City I think it was maybe a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction after what happened to him in the Super Bowl where they really struggled to protect Patrick Mahomes and that was a big reason why they lost the game and Andy Reid likes to protect kind of from the inside out whereas if he feels Patrick Mahomes can be protected on the inside even if his uh, tackles are a little bit soft on the outside. Patrick Mahomes is a great enough athlete where he can step up as long as that pocket is firm in front of him, and then he can scramble around, and we know how much defense is here. Patrick Mahomes being able to scramble around and get outside the pocket. So I think Andy Reid's philosophy is, hey, I'm willing to pay to solidify the inside of my offensive line, give Patrick Mahomes the ability to step up, and then scramble. But I, I still think he may have overpaid a little bit in this market for uh, for the premier guard and free agency this season.
0: Yeah, and of course, that was the weird thing is that, I mean, here he has Mitchell Schwartz, who's a real good right tackle, but I guess with the injuries and the back problems he has, he's thinking about retirement. And then, uh, you know, they had Eric Fisher, who actually went to the Pro Bowl last year, and, you know, he got the bad injury. And so then, you know, they cut them both the same day.
1: Yeah, that was, it was kind of crazy, you know, especially for a team that struggled so much in the Super Bowl protecting their edges to dump both of their tackles who were great tackles. But, um, like you mentioned, they are dealing with injuries. And if you look into Kansas City's pipeline, they didn't really have guys that could replace on the inside or on the outside that were obvious answers. And so they had to go out in free agency and make a splash. And I I would expect them to maybe do something in the draft early on trying to pick up some help because they do look at their team as pretty well complete, except for that offensive line is going to be a big question for them going into next season.
0: They did get a break this week because uh, it looks like I I can't understand how the Rams weren't able to do this, but the Los Angeles Rams lost Austin Bly, their starting center, (laughs) who was a free agent, and he ended up getting a one-year deal at the minimum with no signing bonus.
1: Yeah, it's just such a goofy year. It's really hard to kind of you know, go across the board and say, this is exactly why everything's happening. But with the salary cap squeeze, teams are kind of allocating their resources in different areas. And after free agency, a lot of teams just don't have any money. And so you're able to go into the market and get these great steals, um, kind of after the first wave of free agency that I don't think you normally would be able to get because teams would normally have space and you'd be able to find that market a little better because you'd have more buyers and more sellers. You know, we talk about economics, like, right. If there's a lot of buyers and a lot of sellers, usually you can find a pretty true value. But if there's only a couple guys on either side, you could have vast swings in what the prices of guys are that are going in free agency, and that's what we're seeing this season.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, one one thing that's uh, interesting too is that uh, you know you've got all the seven the seventeen game schedule. How much? Because obviously the offensive lineman as you were, I mean, you had 10,363 consecutive uh, plays, uh, somehow being able to go through that. But how tough is it going to be for the offensive line players who are going to be out there just about every snap to have that 17th game?
1: Yeah, it'll definitely be a little bit tougher on those guys because they're the one position outside of maybe quarterback that just doesn't come off the field. And so they're going to take even more reps. They're going to take a little bit more of the brunt. Of the wear and tear during the season. And I think you're going to see similar situations a little bit more. Now, granted, it's only one game, but you are going to see more situations kind of like we saw with Kansas City in the Super Bowl. You know, you're playing now 21 games maybe to get to the Super Bowl, and you're going to not have your full complement of offensive linemen because the more times they're out there, just exposes them to an opportunity to get those season ending injuries, which causes them to miss the playoffs. So, I mean, as a fan, I'm excited about 17, right? Hey, more more football on Sundays, this is a great thing, but there are some drawbacks, and I think one of them is you're just going to have more key players that are going to miss those playoff and Super Bowl games.
0: Yeah, which is, uh, that's going to be tough, and, you know, fighting through the injuries, because I know I keep track of uh, the injuries and the missed starts and all that stuff, and there was like 1,964 missed starts last mm. year, and a lot mm. of them did involve the offensive line players. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a tough game. And I think one of the things with offensive linemen is you actually become a, a little bit calloused or more battle-hardened when you get more practice time. Um, and that was one thing that they didn't get this year. And so I think when you go out there on Sundays without getting that practice time, without kind of getting your balance, um, getting your your pads calloused from having a training camp and hitting in, in um, preseason and then during the season, you end up being more susceptible to those one-time, big injuries, those ACL tears, those Achilles tears. um, Those are the things that I think show up more. Whereas when you have more training camp and you have a full preseason and you hit a little bit more during the season, you may not have those big injuries as much. You're going to have a little bit more of the wear and tear type injuries, but as far as like those big one ACL Achilles shoulder, those type of injuries, I think you do see those um, go up in a situation when you don't have as much practice.
0: Well I know that uh Russell uh, Wilson caused a stir right after the Super Bowl by talking about the fact that you know he he gets, he's getting hit too much he wants better Things coming from the offensive line and, of course, uh, putting pressure on management to try to get an improvement on the offensive line, even though this was the best offensive line they've had in three years, particularly you know getting uh, you know Shell at the right tackle position. And then uh, they had a real good draft choice in Damian Lewis. Well, they ended up making the trade for Gabe Jackson. They were able to re-sign Ethan Posick. So two things in that regard. They also got back Cedric Aboye, who is the former first-round pick of the Bengal who got uh, as a backup tackle. So they've come out of it as seemingly okay. How do you kind of review where Seattle's offensive line is?
1: Well, offensive line play is interesting because for me, it's more uh, offensive line play has more of an impact from coaching and scheme and quarterback play than any other position on the field. Because you look at, you know, an offensive line that performs really, really well that doesn't always necessarily mean they have the five best offensive linemen, but a lot of times it's the scheme that they're in is very offensive lineman friendly. There's not as much drop back pass. There's more outside zone. There's more play action pass. Those are things that are easier plays for offensive linemen. There's less chance for them to get beat. Same thing with a quarterback. If you've got a guy like Tom Brady, he's not very mobile, but he gets rid of the ball really quickly. And so even if I do miss my block and I get beat in two seconds, the ball is likely going to be out and nobody's going to notice that I screwed up. And so, the people that are great in the film are probably maybe going to give me a minus, but overall, we're not going to affect the play negatively as an offensive lineman. And, but then you got a guy like, let's say Russell Wilson. And now he takes a lot of chances. He hangs on to the football. He scrambles around, gets outside the pocket. And he makes a lot of big plays taking those chances, but that also is going to make him susceptible to a lot of hits. And so I'm, I'm really interested with this new offensive coordinator coming in in Seattle. if He's going to be bringing a lot of the concepts that, the L.A. Rams have been running, which has made their offensive line look really good um, since Sean McVay got to L.A. And they didn't necessarily have the most talent. But when you get the ball out, you run a lot of play action, you run a lot of those bootleg type concepts, they're going to have that offensive line playing better. And so when I look at Seattle's offensive line, I think they definitely have the personnel to be a very good offensive line, to be one of the top offensive lines in the NFL. But I just think coaching I think quarterback play being a little bit more consistent as far as getting rid of the football and the scheme that they're running could be really favorable for the Seahawks offensive line to make a big jump this next season.
0: Yeah, because I know that, uh, and of course, that it's that Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shanahan type of uh, scheme that runs the football, but you're right about the, the different intricacies that they have, and you know, it works so well for the Rams, and now Seattle's going to have it with their offense uh, as far as how that's going to go, and I was looking back at the stats, and you know Jared Goff, for example, I mean, he had one 30-sack season, and he's not the most mobile guy in the world, one 30-sack season mm-hmm. in his four years there, and the other three were in the low 20s, and I know that Jimmy Garoppolo, even though he's missed a lot of games, has only had one 30-plus sack season, where Russell has had 40-plus sacks in each of the seasons since 2012.
1: Yeah, I played for Kyle Shanahan for one year in Cleveland, and uh, the morning I woke up and looked at my phone and saw we hired Kyle Shanahan, I was ecstatic. You know, my wife wondered what was going on, and I I said, hey, I'm finally going to get to playing Kyle Shanahan's offense, because I'd played... In uh, Norv Turner's offense, and I had about nine offensive coordinators during my career, but those offenses, like Norv Turner, uh, the old Don Coryell, the quarterback's getting back to nine, nine and a half, ten yards, and he's standing in the pocket, and he's throwing the ball down the field. It's a lot of pressure on the offensive line to make sure that you're doing the hardest thing that you're asked to do consistently, which is drop back pass for a quarterback that's standing in the pocket. All of a sudden, Kyle Shannon comes in, and instead of having thirty-five or so drop-back pass protections in a game, we were going to 5-15 to maybe at the most with Kyle Shanahan's offense. And so it really puts an offensive line at a huge advantage to be able to get their job done consistently when you are running that Kyle Shanahan offense. And so I think you you look across the board. Cleveland's running it. uh, The L.A. Rams are running it. Now Seattle's probably going to be running it. There's a number of other teams across the league that are kind of running that wide zone play-action pass scheme. And those offensive lines, by and large, are very productive when you look at the numbers. And so, like I mentioned, I, I think that's really going to benefit Seattle. And I think you're going to see Russell Wilson not get hit quite as much. And uh, hopefully that makes him a little happier.
0: Yeah. And of course, that's the one thing with that offense because, you know, Green Bay now has it, Atlanta has it. Yeah. Tennessee has it. I mean, it's, it's really spread around so fast, <clears throat> and it's, it's fascinating to see how the league is picking up on it because you also have a little bit of a 2 tight end. And am I right about this? There's basically in the Kyle Shanahan offense maybe just five basic running plays, but a lot of different variations as far as once the, the ball comes out snapping, where the guys go. Yeah, it's pretty.
1: It's pretty easy, you know. I I got to spend a lot of time with Kyle because he was our offensive coordinator, and you know he's not splitting the role of head coach at the time when he was in Cleveland, and so we got to talk about philosophy a lot. And one of the things he said is he goes, "You know, really, my offensive run game is pretty much always the same. It's outside zone." your technique along the offensive line is going to be pretty much the same almost every play we run, and that's going to allow you to get really good at it. Now, we're going to have different formations. We're going to have different personnel. We may all of a sudden double-team to the safety instead of double-teaming to the Sam linebacker, but for the most part, your technique is going to be the same, the track of the running back, the aiming point of the running back, how the quarterback steps and bootlegs they're going to be all the same and it gives you the opportunity to get really good at it because you're doing it over and over again but the big advantage of that is everything looks the same to the defense and so what starts out as what looks like it could be an outside zone now all of a sudden the quarterback all he has to do is pull the football instead of handing it off to the running back and it becomes the play action pass but the offensive line is by and large, almost doing the exact same thing, so it makes it really, really challenging on a defense because everything pretty much looks the same, and it's going so fast because of how quickly the offensive line is running from sideline to sideline.
0: And then finally, uh, what's your thoughts on the uh, offensive linemen in this draft? Because you know, it looks like uh, there's probably going to be at least six tackles, and they may, may not play tackle initially for the first year, but uh, you know, six offensive line uh, guys that are going to be going pretty well.
1: Yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to see kind of where everybody goes. But uh, Penny Sewell is the guy that I think everybody obviously yeah. has. This, their big number one guy from Oregon. And I got a chance to kind of watch him a little bit. And I, w- I was pretty blown away. Like, I-, I know he didn't play this last season, but he is so far head and shoulders better than the rest of the offensive lineman in this class that he will easily be a top five guy. And I think you you may actually see a little bit of shuffling at the top of the draft to try to get him because of that big gap. Like I mentioned between number one, in my opinion and number two, I, I think Penny Sewell has a chance to be that 10 time pro bowler. He's got that much talent, the athleticism, the way he bends his balance, his size, his strength. He, he checks every single box that you're looking for across the board when you're looking for an offensive lineman.
0: Joe Thomas, we're uh, looking forward five years from now and getting you into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Actually, it's going to be a little less than that because you've been out a couple of years. It's getting closer. And, of course, you're an NFL network analyst, and you can be followed on Twitter at Joe Thomas 73 Hey, Joe, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on, John.